Yesterday, U.S. law enforcement officials made a big announcement related to last month's colonial pipeline attack. The government said it had recovered more than $2 million of the ransom that Colonial had paid to hackers. The extortionists will never see this money. It's an example of a key part of the government's new strategy to stop ransomware attacks, going after the money. New financial technologies that attempt to anonymize payments will not provide a curtain from behind which criminals will be permitted to pick the pockets of hardworking Americans. This new financial technology that's become the focus of the government is cryptocurrency. Our colleague David Uberti has been reporting on how crypto became an essential component in ransomware attacks. We've been told that this is the future of how we transfer value between people and countries and whatnot. And I think a lot of people are open to that idea, even if it's opaque in some ways. But what is true and what is sort of inarguable just given the last month of ransomware attacks, is that cryptocurrency is an integral part of a pretty vast criminal economy. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Tuesday, June 8th. Coming up on the show, why cryptocurrency has become the tool of ransomware criminals and the focus of the government's crackdown. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. In the last few months, ransomware hackers have hit U.S. companies hard. Some cybersecurity experts would use the term crisis. And then additionally, a few high-ranking U.S. officials have gone so far as to compare it to a pandemic. Scripps Health here in San Diego was hacked this past weekend, forcing appointments to be canceled. Colonial Pipeline uh, paying a ransom to the criminal hackers who shut down their systems last week. It's another attack on critical infrastructure, this time the food supply. When these attacks happen, hackers often demand the money in cryptocurrency, like in the case of Colonial Pipeline. It paid its $4.4 million ransom in Bitcoin. Why cryptocurrencies? Why don't these... Ransomware attackers ask for regular currency, like the U.S. dollar. I mean, they could theoretically ask Colonial Pipeline to drop a bag of cash somewhere in Eastern Europe, which would obviously be logistically challenging. I mean, cryptocurrency, it's difficult to track compared to regular currencies. Then also, it's just extremely easy to transfer. I can go on my phone right now, go through Coinbase, buy or sell cryptocurrencies if I so wanted to. So are cryptocurrencies like the fuel of ransomware attacks? They certainly don't hurt. I'll put it to you that way. I know that the crypto guys are going to get really angry about this discussion, um, but they are extremely well-tailored for this, if not perfectly tailored for this sort of activity. 
I want you to walk us through how money moves from victim to hacker and beyond. So let's say we're the operators of a critical piece of infrastructure, like maybe an oil pipeline, and we get hit by ransomware. Our computer screens freeze. We get the, like, freaky message, and we need to pay millions of dollars in Bitcoin to these hackers. How would I go about doing that? Right. So the first step is to decide whether you want to pay, which requires knowing the extent of the damage and whether you can sort of back up your computer systems. Then if you decide, you know, the only option that we have is to pay this money, you need to go to an outside firm to help you exchange some cash into cryptocurrency. Okay, so I've decided to pay the ransom. I go to an outside firm. They take my cash, turn it into crypto. They send it to the hackers. And then what happens? After that, there's an entire ecosystem of people out there on the internet that can help hackers launder their money, essentially, through different avenues in the cryptocurrency world. One of the hackers' first moves is often to put that Bitcoin through something called a mixing service. Which essentially is a third-party person or group that can help you clean your money, for lack of a better term, exchange your dirty Bitcoin for clean Bitcoin obtained by someone else. Ooh, there's dirty and clean Bitcoin. <laughs> the Bitcoin from Colonial Pipeline is dirty. Okay. That's not something that hackers want tied to them. They, they would like to clean that Bitcoin so it's harder to track. Is this like the money laundering you would think about for other criminal activity? It's very similar. So think of a bunch of people getting together and throwing their money on a table. I take my dollars and pennies and quarters out of my wallet throw them on the table. You do the same. Your producers do the same. We sort of jumble all that money together. We do a bunch of different sort of faux transactions. And then you do the hokey pokey. <laughs> yeah, we each do the hokey pokey. And then we each end up with the same amount of money that we had at the start, minus a fee for those mixers that I mentioned. But it's not necessarily the same bitcoins that we had at the start. So what does happen to the Bitcoin that I paid for ransom. The hacker can try to clean that money in the ways that I mentioned earlier. Then subsequently, they could go to a foreign exchange to essentially trade that Bitcoin in for hard currency, whether it's dollars or ruples or whatnot. And so while you have some exchanges in the U.S. like Coinbase that actually operate under regulations, you have a number of other exchanges in other countries that are basically unregulated. And that's why... U.S. regulatory power is so limited in this respect. But the U.S. does have a plan for combating ransomware attacks. It's following the money. That's after the break. How well do we know the people we work with every day? We share lunches, jokes, and deadlines. But are we aware of the unseen struggles we often face silently? Stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or feeling misunderstood at work? Through insight, awareness, and empathy, we can start to better see the issues our coworkers are dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. Join Holly Robinson-Pete and her guests on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. 
This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. Something hackers like about cryptocurrency is that it's hard to trace who the owner is. It's pseudonymous. Uh, It's difficult to track compared to regular currencies. Pseudonymous sounds like a word that would get you really stuck in a spelling bee. (laughs) It's a word that gets me frequently stuck on podcasts. I can tell you that much. (laughs) Is it P-S-E-U-D... O-M-N-Y-M-O-U-S. I would have, I was out. (laughs) What does it mean? Uh, It basically means that it's not quite anonymous. So cryptocurrency has this sort of reputation for privacy, which is well-earned, but it's not completely true. So on the one hand, you know, if I have a wallet, which is sort of a software program to carry my cryptocurrency in, um, that could keep my identity sort of safe. But on the other hand, cryptocurrencies are exchanged on what's called a blockchain, which is a technology that kind of acts as a public ledger for a lot of these transactions. And the U.S. government has identified this public ledger as an opening. Anyone, you, me, the U.S. government, can see money being transferred between digital wallets. So you have a lot of sort of firms who specialize in tracking those public ledgers. They collect data on how cryptocurrency moves between wallets. They try to map it out. And some of those firms are now working with companies and also governments around the world to try to track how some of these ransomware payments are made. So on the one hand, it's very difficult to tie each of these individual wallets that hackers might use to a specific person in a specific country. On the other hand, we have a pretty good bird's eye view in some respects of how some of this money is exchanged. By tracking cryptocurrency transactions, investigators can spot similarities in different attacks and get clues about where the ransom is going. They're trying to map out some of these attacks. FBI Director Ray told some of our colleagues last week that the FBI is tracking about 100 variants of ransomware. So presumably, you could map out what different Bitcoin wallets are associated with those different variants of ransomware and try to gauge what exactly it is they're doing how much financial impacts they're having on U.S. businesses, and then subsequently prioritize which types of variants of ransomware you're trying to go after. And that's how they can sort of create a working map of how some of these various groups interact, how they exchange money over time, and what money might be coming from certain attacks versus other attacks, and basically how those interact. It's like recognizing patterns within the blockchain. It's recognizing patterns within the blockchain similar to you know, white-collar crime, similar to how we try to analyze stock market trends, for example. Last week, the White House said it plans to ramp up efforts to analyze cryptocurrency payments to hackers. And so that could be bolstering their sort of internal teams that track this stuff, sort of building out that expertise and that man or woman power. 
And it could also be them contracting some of these outside firms who specialize in this and have sort of that built-up technology in place. How could the government use all this information? They could do a couple of ways. They could try to regulate cryptocurrency more aggressively and ask some of the domestic exchanges to provide more information about the parties that are exchanging funds. Um, But more broadly, I think the end game is trying to convince some allies in other countries to exert political pressure against countries such as Russia or Iran to try to target some of these groups and basically incentivize Russia to crack down on some of this activity. That said, we don't have a great relationship with Russia or other countries like that. So that, in some respects, seems like a long shot. The Biden administration and Congress are also looking for other ways to stop ransomware attacks. The Biden administration has created a new role within the National Security Council, a deputy national security advisor who focuses on cybersecurity. She's the highest ranking cybersecurity person ever in the U.S. government. And then secondly, Congress created a role in last year's defense bill, creating what is called a national cyber director, who will be a sort of parallel official within the White House to kind of oversee the whole of government response to some of these actions. On the policy side, Last month, the Biden administration unveiled an executive order, which is geared mostly toward federal contractors. Currently in the U.S., there's no law or requirement saying to businesses you need to report when you've been hacked. But what the executive order does is it says to software developers or other federal contractors, if you have some sort of a cyber incident, you have to tell us. And that's a market change from what's, what's been the status quo in the U.S. And then yesterday... The U.S. government says it has seized about half of the Bitcoin from the hackers behind the colonial pipeline attack. What does that action tell you about the government's approach going forward in dealing with these kinds of attacks? I think it tells us that in addition to some of these broad-based approaches that I outlined, law enforcement officials are also using very much more targeted actions to go after some of these people. The FBI hasn't disclosed to us what exactly tipped it off to this particular Bitcoin wallet address. And the FBI is oftentimes pretty loath to give up some of those details just in the hopes of camouflaging its tactics. But what we can say is that it represents a much more targeted approach, that they're using some of this intelligence to go after very specific actors in this space. Earlier you said that the crypto guys, people who are all into cryptocurrencies for the future, will be angry with this discussion of how crypto is tied to hacking. Why? Why will they be angry? Because... People who are pro-crypto see this as sort of the future of value transfer. It's the future of currency. It's the way we will be able to sort of pay each other across borders, sans regulation, sans friction that comes with me handing you cash. And a lot of people are invested in that. Increasingly so, retail investors are invested in that. The other side of that is a bit darker. What do you mean? I mean that it's great for criminals. It's great for for existing in the dark web. It's great for exchanging know-how for hacking into different companies. It's great for financing terrorist groups. Frankly, it's great for other sorts of crimes. Just the reasons why people think it's such a revolutionary type of technology are also the reasons why criminals love it. They're no different than us in that respect in how they sort of view the potential of this sort of technology. 
That's all for today, Tuesday, June 8th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting for this episode from Aruna Vishnawatha, James Rundle, and Dustin Bowles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.